and ARC Excess and Surplus LLC. ARC Excess and Surplus is a wholesale insurance brokerage that offers professional liability products and services. Information about ARC is available at arcbrokers.com. That's arcbrokers.com. WRHU programming is underwritten by The Inn at Fox Hollow, located in Woodbury, New York. The Inn at Fox Hollow is a hotel and also offers catering and event services. The Inn at Fox Hollow is located at 7755 Jericho Turnpike in Woodbury. Information can be found at www.theinnatfoxhollow.com and at 800 291 8090. The Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell supports programming on WRHU, Radio Hofstra University. Information about the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell can be found at medicine.hofstra.edu. Carmela's Pizzeria and Restaurant is proud to support WRHU, Radio Hofstra University. Carmela's Pizzeria and Restaurant is located at 910 Hempstead Turnpike in Franklin Square, four miles west of Hofstra University. Carmela's Pizzeria and Restaurant menu includes pizza, pasta, and other Italian food specialties in addition to catering. Carmela's Pizzeria and Restaurant features on-site dining and delivers food. More information about Carmela's Pizzeria and Restaurant of Franklin Square can be found at 516 488 9898 and online at www.pizzafranklinsquare.com. WRHU programming is underwritten in part by Shift Education of Technology. Located in Long Island City, New York, Shift Education of Technology offers training for careers in information technology within the software quality assurance profession. More information about Shift Education of Technology is available online at shiftedtech.com or you can call at 718 718- 713-1844. Jim Metzger and the Whitmore Insurance Group Garden City underwrites programming on WRHU. The Lawrence Herbert School of Communication is a proud supporter of WRHU, Radio Hofstra University. Information about the Lawrence Herbert School of Communication can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at hofstra.edu slash Herbert. WRHU programming is underwritten by Chateaubriand Catering. In Carl Place, New York, Chateaubriand offers catering and event services. Chateaubriand is located at 440 Old Country Road in Carl Place. Information can be found at www.chateaubriand.com and at 516-334-6125. Proudly broadcasting from the Richard Philip Cavallaro Studio. WWRHU. Hempstead. You discovered. You discovered. A National Association of Broadcasters multiple Marconi Award winning station. WRHU. Radio Hofstra University. Hofstra's morning wake up call. Morning wake up call. Lively talk. Long Island life. National news. International issues. Through the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. Good morning. You're listening to 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. Live from the Richard Philip Cavallaro Studio South, welcome to the Wednesday edition of Hofstra's Morning Wake-Up Call, where we're talking Long Island life, national news, and international issues. I'm your host, Crystal Bermunez, joined by Victoria Bell, and today we will be joined by Gretchen Ellie, a professor and director of the Ph.D. program at the University of Tennessee 
a look inside President Joe Biden's visit to New York and New Jersey, and so much more. But first, I'd like to give a warm welcome to Victoria, who is joining us today. I'm so excited to be hosting with you this semester. I wanted to talk a little bit about how your semester is going so far now that we're a week into school and we have classes going on. How has it been so far? Well, good morning to everyone listening. Good morning, Crystal. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, with you this semester, I'm very excited. This is my senior year, which is kind of crazy to think about. So, you know, I'm kind of taking in everything as it being its last, probably. So I'm trying to really enjoy everything that I experienced this semester. But so far, it's been so good. Um, I'm honestly pretty pretty good with my classes not too bad nothing no horror stories so far <laughs> everything's been pretty good and I'm just excited for this semester and definitely to be back in the studio I haven't been in here since COVID happened I think the last time I was in here I was talking about how oh COVID probably won't affect us and then next thing you know we got shut down for two weeks and then the whole semester and, and now here we are <laughs> yeah exactly so I'm glad to be back for sure is there anything you're looking forward to in particular this semester um, I think, again, just kind of soaking up everything and really um, taking this year and doing everything that I wanted to do if I haven't done something, you know, trying it out. Um, I don't think it's ever too late to try something new and just really giving my all this semester. That's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Awesome. I mean, I hope hopefully we will have a good semester. Mm -hmm. I, I think we will. But we're going to take it over to our first news story where this is trending on the media right now. It is spewing up a lot of conversations. And we have over in Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who is defending the state's new restrictive abortion law as of yesterday, saying it doesn't force victims of rape to give birth and vowing to eliminate all race of rapists, quote unquote. And for those who are tuning in and are not aware of what this law entails, the law bans abortions as early as six weeks into pregnancy before many people even know they're pregnant. And the result is that many Texans will be forced to carry pregnancies against their will. And this also includes private individu individuals being involved, including anti-abortion activists with no connection to patients, can now sue anyone who they believe is providing abortion or assisting someone in assessing abortion after six weeks. This can include healthcare workers, clergy, rideshare drivers, anyone who assists a woman in having an abortion could be liable in getting a lawsuit against them. So Victoria, I, I wanted to ask, you know, I'm a female, you're a female. This is something that for many women, it's like, you know, if this is happening in one state, could this trickle down to other states? Can lawmakers now say, well, if Texas is considering it, can should we consider it as well? So what are your thoughts on everything that is going on in Texas right now? Right. Yeah, this is definitely having a lot of people in a frenzy because there's just been this debate since basically the beginning of time, I could imagine, from you know, whether or not abortion should be legalized. And to your point, um, I definitely think this is possible to spread. Now, in New York, I feel like since we are so democratic and liberal, I don't necessarily see this trickling down to New York, but definitely in other Republican states, you know, where people have been um, anti-abortion, I could see this possibly trickling down to other areas. So it definitely could be setting a precedent. 
And the law doesn't just allow these lawsuits. It actively encourages private individuals to act as almost like bounty hunters Mm -hmm. by awarding them at least $10,000 if they are successful. So something that I did notice about this abortion ban is that it's almost leaving it on the hands of the people to take action rather than the government itself, you know, appointing and and pointing at someone and saying, well, we're going to penalize you for getting an abortion. How does this dynamic between the people of the state now almost having a sense of control over the women who are pregnant, how does that make you feel? I mean, yeah, definitely it almost makes women feel targeted, you know, not being sure if they could even trust their own community to maybe enclose a secret. Let's say a woman is planning on having an abortion. Maybe she wouldn't feel comfortable to even tell people about that, Um, even those who are close to her in the fear that they might turn on her and report her into the government. So, yeah, it definitely is concerning that the government is, like you're saying, making incentives almost for people to rat people out because obviously this is a very personal thing for a woman to go through and I mean no one really understands I don't understand what it's like to be in this situation so who am I to really judge and determine how someone can make their decisions and something I do want to bring about is you know a lot of protests have been breaking out both in person and of course on social media especially from the younger generation and i think it's important to note that most people who are pro abortion it's not that they want for women to have abortions they don't ever want for women to have to deal and go through the the trauma you know it is very traumatic for a lot of women to go through that but they just want for the option to be there and for people in the government who, you know, a lot of times it's male lawmakers, for the men to not necessarily make laws regarding women's bodies. I think that's the issue ultimately. And so I just wanted to see how you felt about that. No, absolutely. I mean, I've been going on social media and this has been something I see whether I'm on Instagram, on Twitter, all over social media. And like you mentioned, to your point, our generation is picking up on this and We see this through posts and graphics, infographics, all these other things. One interesting comparison I saw, I'm not sure if you watch A Handmaid's Tale. I've heard of its show. It's a show, right? It's a show, yeah. It's on on Hulu. It's a little, it's kind of dark. I I was binge watching it um, for during the summer, the first season. I was so depressed after binge watching it because... In the show, it's essentially about the men, their quote-unquote commanders of the states, and the women are basically just used as guinea pigs and just are only used to birth children Mm -hmm. to the the men and their wives that are are unable to have kids. So the women in society, like, they they literally go from a modern day, how we're currently living, and then, boom, night over day, they're now just birth givers and that's their only purpose in the earth so they were comparing the lawmakers in texas to the lawmakers in the show and yeah and a lot of the protests that i have been seeing have been women dressed as the servants in the show where they're yeah so they've been taken on the streets and saying well, is, are these the times we're going to be going into mm. where women are only going to be used to birth children and birth mm. kids and babies and things like that? So I thought that was a very interesting comparison, almost a little accurate for, for my liking. I was like, this is kind of scary mm. that a show has 
taken on this initiative of telling this story, but mm -hmm. in real lifetime, we're seeing this happen too. So right. the, and social media really has an interesting way of, you know, turning things and comparing it. I, I really, I've noticed that. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and then another point quickly to bring up as well, I've been seeing also on, this is a point I've really only seen on social media, is that there has been a push to not only protect cisgender women's rights to abortions, but also people of all genders, such as transgender people as well, which is something I never thought of per se, but I think a lot of people are focusing on, you know, cisgender women's rights to an abortion, but, you know, there are transgender people who are able to have children, and in this case, you know, they might get looked over, and so I think, you know, that's an interesting point that I saw recently also on social media being brought up regarding abortions. Oh, that's honestly interesting. I, I definitely have to look a little bit more into that. But, you know, one of the other things I was also reading about was how the ban is also, like, the ban is specifically getting a way around in a way where they're saying if there's a, a fetus's heartbeat is detected. And I remember listening to this podcast and there's this doctor on the show and she was explaining that for what, you know, the lawmakers are believing to say is the quote unquote heartbeat is actually like this, I don't want to say chemical reaction, but, you know, just all these other factors that come into play that would mistaken someone to believe mm. it's a fetus's heartbeat. So I feel like there's a lot of... Um, what's the right way to say this? A lot of uh, this is what we think it is, but it's really not. I, I feel like there's not enough science. Just like a lot of science. debate over. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like there's not enough science backing up the lawmakers. Mm. And it's more of a, um, you know, this is the word we're going to give and you guys should follow it kind of thing. Right. I and mean, I'm, I know this know. definitely uh, is also religious for a lot of people the right. fact that you know abortion and catholicism it's considered a sin so i think it's definitely if you like what you're saying like if it's less about science it's more so about religion, religion. and just people's personal beliefs and opinions of abortion essentially and it's interesting because we we would assume that we keep religion out of you know, just the state and mm. out of politics, and yet it still gets intertwined. I, and I wonder um, when you look specifically at the bill, if that appears anywhere. Right. No, definitely. I think, you know, um, that's a issue that a lot of people have talked about is that, you know, religion should in no way, shape, or form steer into people's opinions of making laws and how that gets turned about but unfortunately this isn't a perfect system as we've seen from just so many different aspects and I mean yeah I think this is just one of the flaws perhaps that a lot of people are seeing. Absolutely and I only wonder also the detrimental effects mentally that this will have on women if it does get passed and I remember also hearing that a request to block the ban was sent and the Supreme Court had completely shut down the request. So does this go against Roe v. Wade and what that stands for? What do you think? I mean, yeah, I've definitely been seeing that point being brought up about. And of course, 
the opinions that we say on Morning Show do not reflect those of WRHU and the Board of Trustees, but for sure I think it is a step back in the wrong direction on a personal note here. So yeah, I've, I've definitely been seeing that um, issue brought about. So it is it is kind of concerning for a lot of women. And again, it's I think the most important part to stress is that people aren't saying we want women to kill their babies. Like it's, yeah. it's not that. And and a lot of women who go through that, it's not that they want they don't get pregnant just to, you know, kill their baby. That's not what it's about. It's just, you know. In the case of a rape or something. Incest. That was another one that oh, is for sure. not included. I was like, what? There's a million um, reasons why, you know, a, a woman could fear that she might have to get an abortion. But it's just that option to have allows it for women to be able to make that choice if they so wanted. So I definitely think that it is worth considering you know that women again are never wanting to be in these situations but unfortunately sometimes it's something that they have to consider and for them to have that option would be beneficial and to talk to us a little bit more about what is currently going on in the state of texas joining us today is the lovely gretchen ellie who is going to talk to us a little bit more about what's going on. She's a professor and director of the PhD program at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville College of Social Work and a faculty affiliate in the UTK Women, Gender and Sexuality Studies program. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, Ms. Uh, Ellie, I wanted to talk about what is currently going on in the state of Texas in regards to the abortion ban. Can you walk us through what is currently being proposed? Um, well, what's happening now in Texas is that uh, people are no longer able to get an abortion after six weeks, which is when um, you're able to hear a beating sound, which um, abortion opponents call a fetal heartbeat. And um, the way the law is unique is that it doesn't rely on the state for enforcement of this law. Um, it relies on neighbors, friends, and family members to turn in people who um, are seeking abortion, and it also allows somebody to turn in a person who is helping somebody get an abortion, and there's uh, they can sue those folks and then uh, obtain up to $10,000. So it's, a, it's not being enforced by the state government. It's um, designed to be enforced by people who basically turn you in like a you know, some kind of a tattletale process, I guess. Um, so that's what makes it dangerous because anybody who is, um, you know, vehemently anti-abortion can just suspect you and doesn't even have to know that that's what you're doing. And um, I believe it's designed to terrorize people, you know. So that's the, uh, um, like, the overview of the law in a nutshell, I guess. Certainly. And first of all, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Victoria, the other co-host on this morning show. So I did want to ask you kind of to your point about how this is proposing for people to basically tattletale, as you said, on their community. How do you feel that this targets women if you feel that way? And do you feel that 
because of this, many women will fear even being able to talk to their loved ones, families and friends about what they're going through in fear that they might get turned in by their own circle, essentially? By their own community. I, I, I think that's the worst part of it is that, um, you know, research that I have done and research that um, people in this area have done suggests that abortion was already um, quite inaccessible in Texas in the first place, especially for um, poor people and people of color. And so when you, when you add what, what was required to get an abortion in Texas uh, was a network of, of cooperative people to get you from a place where you couldn't access an abortion to a place where you could. So you would have to go to a major city um, to, to get the procedure anyway. And oftentimes you have to get a ride from a neighbor or gas money from somebody and you have to ask a, a family member to provide childcare for you. So there's this whole like network of people that often are involved in um, accessing abortion procedure in a place like Texas before this law went into effect. And so now what you're going to find is that people um, inevitably will be fearful to ask for this assistance because um, if you're thinking about folks who are not um, wealthy in the first place, if they believe they can make $10,000 by turning you in, you can see where that could be quite an incentive depending on what's going on. So it's a really um, distasteful way to put people in a quandary and it punishes uh, women who are poor and people, pregnant people who are poor and it punishes inevitably people of color and it's quite a racist, um, classist approach to trying to reduce abortions. And so in your article, When Religious Ideology Drives Abortion Policy, Poor Women Suffer the Consequences, you talk about Northern Ireland where uh, the country is basically divided by Catholics and Protestants and how this affects women in the long run. And in this research you made in 2017, are there any similarities or differences between Ireland and Texas that you have been able to take a note of? Uh, that's a good question. You know, pe pe uh, Northern Ireland has legalized abortion since, you know, we published that piece. But one of the interesting things about uh, the work I've done here with data in the United States suggests that when people can't afford to get an abortion, they go to these places called abortion funds. And I looked at some data from the um, National Network of Abortion Funds, which was their Tiller Memorial Fund that they... Um, funded people across the U.S. who needed assistance when they were approaching the, um, as their pregnancy went on later because they couldn't get the money together to get the procedure. And it is primarily just like I'm thinking about the people in Texas um, and the people in Northern Ireland. It's people who can't get um, a plane ticket to go somewhere to access the procedure that have the most trouble. So, you know, middle class and above people have always been able to access abortions in the United States, even when it was illegal. They could go to Europe or they could, they knew somebody who knew a legitimate doctor. So it's the same folks in, you know, our research suggests that would be living in Northern Ireland or in Texas who have difficulty traveling that are the ones that are the most vulnerable to laws like this. So um, in the case of wealthy people in Texas, it will be a 
a terrible inconvenience, but they'll be able to fly somewhere to access the procedure while they're sorting all of this out. But for people who don't have the means to do that, um, they're going to be stuck in Texas not knowing how to navigate this. So it's really going to create a two-tiered reproductive health access system, which we really had anyway in the United States. And now I hope in Northern Ireland things are better since they have changed the law there. So a point that we mentioned before earlier in the show was how, and this is something that personally I've not really seen so much in mainstream media, but more on social media, and Mm -hmm. that is the push that people want to make sure that not only cisgendered women's rights to abortion are being protected, but that people of all genders, such as transgender people's rights, are also being protected. So I just wanted to ask you, do you feel that this is important? I believe it's very important because there are um, people who don't necessarily identify as women who um, could become pregnant and could need access to abortion. And I, I think if we think about um, the intersection of oppression for people, so you know, race, gender, socioeconomic class can all come together to create a feeling of isolation or even more difficulty accessing any kind of health procedure. And so it's very important that we try to remember that people who are transgender have difficulty accessing all kinds of health services, so they're going to be um, extraordinarily vulnerable in Texas trying to access an abortion service. It could be that they, on top of everything else they're facing there, they may have to go to a specific provider that they know will be transgender-friendly, for example, and that might be a provider that's even further away from where they are. Um, And so I I do believe it's very important to remember that um, this is a sensitive issue for people. And, and, um, you know, when I talk about it, I try to remember not to just say women, but they're women and pregnant people as well because um, we want to make sure we include everyone in our concern and our advocacy. Absolutely. And earlier you mentioned a little bit about uh, disparities that are present among, amongst women in abortions. What health disparities are present? Can you walk us through a bit about the, the drawbacks that are present among women when looking to get an abortion? Um, that's a great question because historically in the United States, we've had something called the Hyde Amendment, which went into effect in 1977, shortly after um, abortion was re-legalized in the United States um, under Roe v. Wade, which people I think are pretty familiar with. And Hyde is a budget writer that's always since then been tied to the federal budget, which prohibits federal funds from going to supporting um, an abortion, except for in rare cases of of rape or incest or or the threat to the um, life of the pregnant person. And so we have always in the United States been creating this stratified access to abortion for people of lower socioeconomic means through the Hyde Amendment. So that means that you couldn't use the, you couldn't use Medicaid or Medicare, which Medicare is for older folks, so it may be less applicable. Uh, The Child Health Service Program, the Indian Health Service, people in the military, and people with veterans insurance, none of them have been able to get abortions using their health insurance, um, so they always have to pay out of pocket. So this creates a problem for people who don't have the means to go around their insurance and um, 
and access um, an abortion even before uh, they they you know created this law in Texas. So um, it's it's his and, and the creator of that law, whose name was Henry Hyde, he was a a lawmaker at the time. He admitted that he knew that he couldn't stop abortions for everybody, but that he had the means to stop it for poor women. That's that was a direct quote from him. And that's what he was intending to do, because he felt that if he could stop any abortions at all, it would be better than stopping none. So, so people who don't have um, good health insurance and, and access to means have always been at a disadvantage when seeking abortion in the United States. So this is no different than what we've always been doing to poor women here and, and pregnant people. We are um, just further exacerbating the gap in rich and poor when it comes to um, accessing abortion in Texas. Because, again, you know, anybody in Texas who needs um, health care right now who has the means to get on a plane will still be able to do so. And that's terrible that they would have to do it. It's inconvenient for them, but it's, but it's going to change people's ability to access abortion in this interim while the law is allowed to stand. And I, don't, I, don't, I imagine it's not going to be allowed to stand long-term, although I'm not a legal expert, but it's certainly harming people today while it is, um, and, you know, is standing, so. To close, I'd like to ask you what your advice would be to those in Texas being negatively affected by this legislation. I mean, I would hesitate to offer advice to people in vulnerable situations because I don't want to put anybody at risk. Um, pregnant people and women in Texas are going to have to consider carefully what their options are and weigh those on an individual basis. But I would encourage them to reach out to reliable sources like the 800 number at Planned Parenthood or the abortion fund in their area. Or, um, Texas has abortion funds, which um, are organizations that um, assist people to access abortion when they can't afford it. And I imagine that they're also working really hard right now to um, advise people, you know, about what to do. And I would just encourage everyone who is listening, if you have the means to do things like donate to the abortion funds in Texas right now, because they're going to need all the support they can get and to, and to demand from your legislators that this law, that they do something about this law. Um, because we, those of us who don't support this, can work together as a community to try to help Texas right now in those ways. Well, thank you so much, Professor Ellie, for joining us and giving us insight on this abortion ban. We hope to have you back again soon. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate you doing a story on this. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. And for those tuning in, that was Professor Gretchen Ellie from the University of Tennessee joining us to talk about the Texas abortion ban. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we will have more Hosh Morning Wake Up Call for you guys tuning in. Hosh's Morning Wake Up Call. Change up your morning routine, turn those dials, and get in touch with in-depth discussions on the latest trending stories in news. Our broadcasting team brings you all the news from Nassau County, 50 Long Island schools, 
could lose state aid in a new budget proposal to Washington, D.C. This just in recently, Trump was just acquitted for the second time in the Senate. It's all around the globe. The people that you maybe didn't always see eye to eye with become the people who you learn the most from. So tune in weekdays, 8 to 9 a.m., only on the multiple Marconi award-winning station, 88.7 FM, WRHU. And we're back with more Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call. Joining us for today's show is WRHU reporter Matt Rubenfill to give us a quick update on what's going on in the animal world. Thank you very much, Crystal, and thank you, Victoria. That was a lovely interview you guys did before. Now, here's some animal news to start your morning. A recently surfaced recording proves that Australian musk ducks can, perf can develop the ability to mimic human speech. The recording was published alongside a study detailing the vocal imitations learned by this specific duck species. The male duck, also known as Ripper, who is the subject of the recording, appears to be saying the words, you bloody fool. Ripper has also been recorded throughout the study mimicking the sound of a door opening and closing, and it was concluded that these sounds were part of a mating display, in which Australian musk ducks usually combine sounds and movements to attract a partner. The ability for birds to mimic speech has been noted in parrots and hummingbirds for a long time, but this marks the first recorded occasion of an Australian musk duck exhibiting the same vocal learning tendencies. Now, this is a fascinating story about biology, yet it also serves as a reminder to be careful what you say at work, because you never know who's listening. The words, you bloody fool, is what most people hear when they listen to the recording, and it's assumed that Ripper picked this up directly from his caretaker. If swearing at ducks isn't enough, Ripper became hopeful to attract companions by calling them bloody fools. Surprisingly, the recordings were actually made in 1987, but only recently rose to relevance after the publication of the study on Monday. If there's anything to learn from the phenomenon of Ripper the Talking Duck, it's that nature reveals its intricacies in surprising ways, and with the right amount of research, more can be discovered about the ways species learn from each other. For Morning Wake Up Call, I'm Matthew Rubenfeld reminding you not to curse at birds because they might just curse back. Well, thank you so much, Matt, on that update. And I hope I don't run into the Ripper duck because I would honestly be scared if a duck spoke to me. But we're going to take it over to our next news story where President Joe Biden visited New Jersey and New York on Tuesday, September 7th, which was yesterday, to continue his tour of the damages caused by Hurricane Ida. He traveled to both states to see firsthand the destruction of the massive storm that was impacted by the, nor the Northeast. So the president was going around the states, and I was excited when Joe Biden did arrive to New Jersey. I remember my mom was calling me yesterday like, oh my God, he's here, look on the news. And I'm like, all right, mom, he's not that much of a celebrity. <laughs> not like he's our first our president, but um, my mom was super excited about that. But he did come over, and as he arrived in New Jersey in the morning, along with additional stops in New York that he made, I believe it was in Queens, he was addressing the damages of Hurricane Ida that impacted so many families. I remember receiving phone calls from my friends and uh, close family friends, and I know in my town of Bayonne, New Jersey, a lot of damages um, happened because of the hurricane and it's surprising it was really surprising to me because 
they were saying that it was worse than Hurricane Sandy, if you guys remember that hurricane, I believe that was in like 2010, 2009? 2012. 2012, it was so long ago. It was worse. The The aftermath of, the, of Hurricane Ida was worse than Hurricane Sandy. A lot of homes were, uh, you know, a lot of homes were wrecked and a lot of lives were lost. I believe if I, yep, it's remains of the hurricane left heavy rains, flooding, and tornadoes in the Northeast. More than half the deaths were recorded in New Jersey. In New York alone, 13 people were killed, including 11 in Queens. And we had both Murphy and New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, who spent Labor Day visiting these communities that were impacted by the hurricane. Victoria, I wanted to ask you, did you know, were you yourself personally affected by the hurricane or do you know anyone that has is now experiencing the aftermath of the hurricane? So luckily, um, with the grace of God, I was not affected and <laughs> no one close to me was either. And I find it interesting because like we mentioned, Hurricane Sandy was probably the last, you know, big monumental hurricane that we got. Um, in New York and at the time because I'm originally born and raised in Queens but maybe five years ago I moved to Long Island so I remember Hurricane Sandy was really detrimental in Long Island and almost you know so many people that I uh, knew were affected but at the time me living in Queens I wasn't but now I feel like it's the other way around with Ida where Queens was affected and now that I'm in Long Island where I lived, at least in Long Island, it wasn't affected. So I just feel like I'm very lucky when it You've comes to the hurricanes. <laughs> I'm always just escaping it by <laughs> chance. So, yeah, I mean, the worst thing that happened um, for actually both of those hurricanes, I remember, is that my power went out. But obviously, that's so minor and insignificant when we're talking about people's who literally lost their lives. So yeah, I definitely was seeing a lot of really crazy videos, especially um in the subway. I don't know if you saw some of those New York oh. City subways. Oh man. The flooding, the trains that were just, you know, completely getting soaked on and I saw a lot of rats taking a swim in the water, which was very disgusting. <laughs> but um, you know, a lot of people were definitely affected by this and yeah, it's it's really crazy that, you know, it it was targeted to be in the south, but we we did get that effect as well the after rain right the rain just carried over it was wild and i remember getting a storm alert on my phone one of those really loud blaring ones which you can't escape and it was just saying you know please do not leave your house do not drive and i mean so many people's cars washing up on the street i i was driving on the highway not too long ago i'm still seeing cars covered in mud and you know people who unfortunately a lot of people drowned um, and, you know, were stuck in that water that was up to their shoulders. And it was really just a scary time for sure. And, you know, with all this weather change, all these weather changes that we're seeing, it is bringing up concerns over climate change. And that is something that has been, you know, a very, what's the word, dividing point. A lot of people believe in it. A lot of people don't. So President Biden um, has said that, you know, with this recent damage that we've seen from the hurricane, as well as even in California with the wildfires, we're seeing all these changes in the weather and how this is, you know, a sign for a lot of people that climate change is real. And so a lot of skeptics are now actually believing in it. However, because of, you know, all this um, ignoring of the issue, 
um, you know, despite proof from scientists and economists and whatnot, it now leaves little time for action. And from a quote from President Biden, he says, the threat is here. It is not getting any better. The question is, can it get worse? We can stop it from getting worse. And I totally agree if we just make small changes in our daily life to reduce climate change, we can at least make it get better. And so, you know, many are now wondering what Biden's next steps regarding climate change will be. So I just wanted to get your takes on this. Do you agree that it is maybe an eye opener for a lot of people about the effects of climate change and the damage it can do? Oh, absolutely. I remember reading an article and it was comparing the severity of hurricanes between what we're seeing presently and past hurricanes. And the number has jumped alarmingly in terms of how, as again, as I mentioned, the severity of it, how impactful that they are when they hit communities. And I think it's no coincidence that there is now this large number of the percent. it It was something with percentages of how much it has changed. And I don't think it's a coincidence we're seeing that number happening. And because of climate change, uh, as you mentioned, President Biden, he was making the case for his $1 trillion infrastructure bill that recently passed the Senate with the bipartisan support, in addition to a $3.5 trillion social spending bill that comprises his Build Back Better agenda as ways to do so. So I think that if we have the money in the budget and have the initiative to want to start seeing uh, changes in our environment, we should 100% take it. I mean, in the long run, I think it only benefits us rather than harming us. And in that instance, I think we should start taking more, not necessarily smarter, but just more consideration into these decisions and think long term you know we want to have more generations to carry on and to continue living on and we can't do that if our planet is not looking at its best shape and in the best conditions and you also mentioned victoria how we've also seen the wildfires there's been a lot of i i just believe like around the world the world overall it's not just the United States um, seeing these effects of climate change. And I believe at this point to ignore it is just to also be ignorant because we do have the research and the facts behind it. And just a disclaimer, all thoughts and opinions stated here on the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call does not reflect the views of 88.7 FM, Radio Hofstra University, Board of Trustees, as well as Hofstra University. But to your point, Victoria, I believe that at this point and with the science and technology that we have now, we should 100% take all steps to making our world a little better. Yeah, totally. And I mean, a lot of the changes, they're they're very doable. It's not like, you know, we're asking everyone to, you know, solar panel your house and, (laughs) and, you know, only drive electric cars or anything crazy like that you know it's just simple things you know don't use a plastic water bottle even though i'm being a bit of a hypocrite i (laughs) I have a plastic water bottle but you know i think as of today you won't yes as of today i'm i'm throwing them all away i'm getting (laughs) rid of it but you know just uh 
reusing bags, um, you know, just not being wasteful, essentially. I think that's a big issue as well. A lot of us are wasteful and all that trash just ends up going in a dump. And, you know, it it's really bad for the environment. So definitely just small changes. And, you know, it's just like if you realize it, you know, try to fix it the next time. Straws, metal straws. There's so many just little things you can do. Um in order to save the planet so absolutely and actually for long islanders that if anyone is listening executive laura curran did announce that any homeowners that have been affected by hurricane ida to start applying for anything that is being offered such as fema and things like of that nature she is trying to work on an initiative to basically i believe it's to have a, like millions of dollars to go towards homeowners that were affected by the hurricane and if their homes were destroyed in any way. So definitely consider that. And if there are any applications there and any damages that have occurred, definitely apply for it. I know one of my friends from back home, she, I, I believe it was on, I forget which night it was, but last week she was, she had just driven home. She parked the car the whole avenue got flooded, and she actually, her, I feel so bad because her car got flooded, oh, and wow. she drives this huge Jeep car. I'm mm-hmm. surprised it even got flooded and that the water was even that high. Um, and her car, just the engine was done. The car was moldy. It, it had a total, it was total that mm-hmm. by the end of the day. Um, and she was devastated, but she's also in the works of applying through FEMA, seeing if they could give her any kind of relief. Because who's gonna, who would ever anticipate a rain turning into flood, right. and then your car just yeah. gone? Speaking of cars, I don't know if you, I was seeing on social media the lines at the gas station. I don't know if you saw those but in preparation for the hurricane people were making sure you know they had gas in their car in case i guess they need to evacuate i don't really know (laughs) but they just the lines were crazy especially like in louisiana is where i saw it oh yeah just i mean you would have thought like a concert was going on or something like i don't know like it was really a long line for gas and i don't know if this has anything to do with that i've been seeing gas prices very high i don't know i don't know if that has to do anything with now i'm scared why are the gas prices going up is there something we don't know it's so much right now i was (laughs) like it was wild took like 50 dollars to fill up um my car is like are you kidding me and it usually doesn't take that much so it was really crazy, so I don't know if that has anything to do mm, with it, but I just know that was definitely a big thing in preparation for the hurricane. And Biden also approved the emergency declarations for New York and New Jersey to provide federal aid to the recovery efforts in those impacted areas. So at least there's some um, steps being taken to give aid to those people who have been affected. But my question to you, Victoria, if a hurricane were to hit and you so far have been lucky to escape them. Do you think you would be ready to take on a hurricane? Um, Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I've not been faced with any major natural disaster that I had to really, you know, take charge of. But mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely, uh, I was looking at my first aid kit that we have. It definitely wouldn't suffice and we don't have like, canned goods and all that stuff so you know I think that kind of goes into another point of just you know 
safety and being prepared for all that stuff. But I, I mean, also just mentally, how do you prepare for something like that? I, I saw the videos of people's houses just getting flooded. I feel like I would have a panic attack or something. You yeah. know, I wouldn't have been in the right mind for that. So, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been, to be honest. But again, I'm lucky I didn't have to deal with that. But it was definitely scary. How about you? I just think about how when humans get in survival mode, that's when they're the scariest mm. because you don't know what people are, where their minds go and what they're capable of doing for survival. Um, and I remember seeing videos on Twitter of like people getting floaties. And I was just going to say that. I saw people floating away in the water. Mm -hmm. And they say that, you know, flood flooded water is the most dangerous water to be in it's disgusting too. i wouldn't like, want to oh, be in it people taking way. swims in it i was just like this well, is ridiculous like, this is too much yeah. like all right this <laughs> is why we have beaches but um honestly i remember during hurricane sandy i want to say i was about 10 11 years old it's actually how i learned dur during hurricane sandy how to shuffle cards oh. because we we also lost power in mm -hmm. our buildings um but we were all in like the hallways because the generators for some reason were working and mm. powering the building, but not necessarily the apartments in the complex. It was really weird. Um, and I remember the hurricane, well, one, it had really horrible effects down in Jersey Shore. The boardwalk was completely destroyed. I remember in Long Island too, that was one of the initiatives to build the boardwalk rebuild yes. it i believe mm -hmm. um but honestly for a hurricane i think the thing that that freaks me out most about hurricanes is how much gets picked up and we i think the scariest part about it too is that you can't see it it's in the water and mm -hmm. you don't know what's in the water i remember like you mentioned earlier rats swimming i learned this weekend that rats are the best swimmers i saw that and as well. survive That's three days did three. you see that they can tread water for three days i saw something crazy right. like that i was shocked now and now all of a sudden these creatures are like water creatures and it's like if i'm in this hurricane i don't know what's in there i don't know what could grab me i don't know what could bonk me in the head too <laughs> like there's so many factors that come in and it also reminds me of like tornadoes too tornadoes also freak me out like how is this gust of wind all of a sudden picking mm. up things and spitting it out elsewhere um, I think any natural disaster is yeah. terrifying. Earthquakes. earthquakes I mean, oh my God, no. The ground shaking. I remember there was a little earthquake <laughs> apparently in New York. I remember my mom um, told me about it, but I was in a different area of New York. I was upstate, and I guess we didn't feel it there as much. But there was like a very minor little earthquake mm -hmm. um, in New York. Um, but I've never even felt what one feels like, but I could just imagine like how terrifying it would be to be a part of that and, you know, a wildfire, like uh, it's just so many crazy so many things out of our control, yeah. And I, I always think about the movie 2012 and oh. <laughs> I, that is literally how I picture the world crumbling and people running and driving off and trying to hijack planes to fly elsewhere. Mm -hmm. That's literally how I imagine if the world were to ever end. Mm -hmm. I mean, for I hopefully not, but <laughs> I feel like that was a little too accurate and I'm, I think they know something we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they were onto something. They, they were watched, onto something. It's like how the Simpsons predict a bunch of stuff oh, in the future. Yeah. They predicted that. 
No, I think it's time for me to start rewatching The Simpsons, just (laughs) in case there's some things that haven't been picked up yet. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Hopefully those who were affected by the hurricane um, are getting the help needed. And hopefully, I know a lot of families are probably having a really hard time right now. So, um, you know, my best wishes and prayers are to those families affected during this hurricane. But we're going to take it over to our next and final news story for this morning, where Bill Cosby's accuser, Andrea Constant, broke her silence yesterday morning discussing the comedian's release from prison in her first television interview since the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturned his assault conviction in June. I, for one, can't imagine how Ms. Constant is feeling right now to see, um, you know, someone who inflicted so much trauma onto you now being able to step out into the world freely. I was just thinking mostly about how her reaction to this was, and it's how all been on live television in the public eye. I know for one personally, I would want to be able to take this in privately, but she went on to tell the senior national correspondent Kate Snell in an interview on NBC's Today Show that she was, quote, in shock and disappointed, and the allegations of sexual assault that led to the conviction of Cosby was on a three felony counts of aggravated indecent assault in 2018. His prosecution was one of the first major milestones of the Me Too movement as women came forward with tales of unwanted sexual advances and harassment in the workplace. And this is coming from NBC. So, Victoria, what are your thoughts on this? I know that for many women, I'm sure there are, he has other victims as well that have also came forward. I can only imagine what they're also feeling now that he's been able to um, be released from prison. Yeah, it's definitely something to think about. And I know there is this whole debate um, of, you know, did he do it? Did he not do it? And I know a lot of people are in defense of Bill Cosby. And so, you know, that's nor here or there. But regardless of that, whether or not you agree with or believe in what he did if he did it. But um, I definitely think, you know, this is hard for her to deal with if, you know, she has to see the person that she has accused to have, you know, um, sexually harassed her. Um, that that would be difficult for anyone, I could imagine. So, you know, I it's hard to give an opinion on mm-hmm. something like this. But um, as you said, she did say herself that she was very shocked and disappointed. So I feel like that summarizes exactly how she's feeling yeah <laughs> shocked and disappointed so. yeah and the panel of pennsylvania state supreme court judges said in their opinion that a former montgomery county district attorney's decision to not prosecute cosby in 2005 in return for his disposition in a civil case was ultimately used against him at trial and so in light of these circumstances they said Quote, the subsequent decision by successor district attorneys to prosecute Cosby violated Cosby's due process rights. So there was some sort of um, leeway there, some sort of uh, technicality in which he was able to be free. That's how it seems like to me, at least, where um, almost like a rabbit hole. You know, this happened back in 2005 uh, where they wrongfully 
um, accused him, and then now they brought it up again. And I believe under P- Pennsylvania's um, state supreme court, they were able to legally do that. So um, I remember earlier in the pandemic as well, Cosby was um, he was requesting to be released early as well because of the pandemic. I remember mm-hmm. that was also circulating in the news where he um, was saying that he was old and he didn't want to be affected by the pandemic and, you know, catch COVID. So I remember that was also uh, another worry that he had while being imprisoned. But my only wonder is what he is planning to do now moving forward, if he has any plans on um, coming out with a statement. I'm just wondering what he his thoughts are next to do now being freed. I definitely think he's going to stay low. I mean, he yeah. is... I believe in his 80s, 84 years old. So, you know, I I don't see him coming out with a comedy Netflix special or anything. You know, it's very um, crazy. He's already very well endowed with money. I'm sure he's, you know, he doesn't need to necessarily um, worry about that. But, you know, I just think to be freed from jail and to, you know, be able to be with his loved ones and whatnot, that's kind of what I've, foresee him to really just focus on and you know just take in this time that he's freed to just really enjoy it and maybe catch up on things that he's missed but I definitely don't think we're gonna see he's gonna be a very you know much in the media essentially he's gonna try his best to stay low and to make sure that he's just you know staying out of trouble yeah absolutely I I think that would honestly be the best way to go about it Mm -hmm. to just lay low and if you're given the opportunity to be free, might as well use it in the best way you can. Even if, you know, if something like this is something kind of hard to bounce back from. But again, there are ways to go about it. And hopefully you can make better decisions if, you know, now that he's freed. He is old. I believe he is 78 years old now, right? Oh, 78. 78, yes. So, Oh. Or 84. No, 84. Okay, I saw 84. I was like, wait, can I not read? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he's had a total of 60 women who have accused him, and he's 84 years old now, of very different offenses, including groping, sexual assault, and rape, as far as back as the 1960s. But I also remember there was an interview with Raven Simone, and they had Mm -hmm. asked her during her time uh, when she was a young child actor, um, what was the name of that show? Where I think the Cosby Show. The Cosby Show, yeah, I think it was the Cosby Show. Uh, where she was, she appears in the show as a, as a very young little girl, and they had asked her uh, when you were working with him, did you see anything? Did you remember being affected by this by him by in any ways? And she came out and said, no, I. Mm-hmm. She was a, she was like a father figure to me. Um, he is seen as, quote-unquote, America's dad, or at least he used to be. Um, and she came out and forward and said that she had never came any through any circumstances with him, Never, um, he never overstepped any boundaries. So, But then again, she was a very, very young girl, so I would hope he wouldn't. Mm-hmm, but yeah. um, that was just another interview that I remember that had happened. Right. But, you know, like we're saying, I mean, he also is legally blind. I don't think he's really looking to do any crazy, you know, any crazy shows or or movies, anything of that nature. 
Um, I think he's probably, again, just going to enjoy his his time while he's here. While he's here, absolutely. Well, with that, we're going to conclude today's segment portion of Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call. I'm your host, Crystal Bermudez, joined by Victoria Bell and Matt Rubenfeld. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today, and I'm so excited for next week's show. Definitely. Thank you to everyone listening, and have a good morning. Have a great morning, everyone. I'm going to change.